Hello, Layfoam listeners, and welcome to the Layfoam podcast, in which we are going to break down the Netflix television series, The OA. And in this episode, um, part one, chapter eight, Invisible Self, we are going to give our reactions, our impressions, and a recap. And I'm your co-host, Richie. And I'm Patrick. And we have um, a special guest with us today, our Lay Film main series regular, Kevin. What's up? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Kevin, welcome to uh, our finale recap. Wow, well, uh, it's great to be here. Uh, Thanks for having me on. I just kind of binge-watched the last six episodes all in a row, I want to say like a week ago, just to make it on this episode. I'm excited. Yeah, thank you. This, this show's wild. <laughs> yeah. Um, I take the show. Yeah, get, yeah. Go for it, Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> Yo, if you don't believe in angels, don't even be on, don't even listen to this episode. Get out of yeah. here. We don't want you here. <laughs> If you don't believe in multiple dimensions and higher beings, don't even at me. Don't yeah. even at me. Yeah, come on. <laughs> Look at you, Alphonse. French. <laughs> yeah, if yeah, you I'm don't glad. even... Yeah, if you're not a spiritual person and you don't believe in, you know, a higher being or the powers that be, yeah. How about no? <laughs> but you were saying, Patrick... <laughs> So I'm, I'm very glad, Kevin, you're joining us. Uh, can't wait to unload on to both you and Richie now my insane <laughs> Black Saturn Cube conspiracies and connections to the show. I'm looking oh, forward to it. I, I always have a reserve for, uh, <laughs> for taking in all, all of these, uh, these... Deep truths. Deep truths, yeah. <laughs> I'm excited to hear all your theories because... Um, this has been a long time coming for me because uh, I don't often get to talk about this show with, with, you know, with my friends or just anyone who's close to me or just, yeah, I don't really have a full on discussion, you know, of this show. Um, so she sent it so underseen and underrated. And um, I'm happy I get to share this with you both because um yeah, I I love what you guys have to say, you know, about film and TV. So, yeah, I'm I'm very elated to like have you guys here. Like, I can't believe we're we're here. Like, I'm so excited. Um, I mean, I mean, yeah. this show is is no euphoria. So, <laughs> <laughs> so don't don't get too carried away now, Richie. Yeah. <laughs> Well, the, the the one thing in common between Euphoria and OA is Zendaya and Alexa Demi. So, boom. <laughs> I've been meaning to bring that up, Richie. Uh, yes. This is just a shallow ripoff, actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're just waiting until the, the final episode nah, of the season? <laughs> no, nah, I was waiting for someone brave enough. Like, I didn't have the gut courage. <laughs> Thank you, Kevin, for opening that door. Like, like if we're talking about high shows centered around high school, I mean, 
<laughs> not even high school, just real life. Just real life. Don't you, <laughs> yeah. Don't you watch Euphoria and go, that's just like my life? I live that every moment. This isn't some weird <laughs> some weird selling something they're selling to me, some like fictional experience that we missed out on and that we feel envious for to help us get addicted onto like our social constructs and social media comparisons. No. This <laughs> is I mean it's and, real and life. If, if you really delve deeper into it, like at the very bare bones of it all, you will find that Euphoria is strictly based upon Stranger Things. Yeah. I mean, it's all it's all come it's all going back full circle like i i listened to the episodes that you that you both put out so far and uh yeah i just want to chime in say i i hate stranger things so uh nice <laughs> like you i remember one on the train <laughs> like like i remember when uh was it season three or whatever i don't know um i don't know i don't know i only watched like an episode of it and then, like, I go and I, I was telling Pat about this when I first saw it. Like, I went into Target, and I saw that they were selling like the little hot dog hats that uh, that one of the characters had, or a few of the characters have, like when they work in the show. And I just wanted to vomit. I was like, "What the hell is this?" <laughs> no, but, true art. <laughs> but but in all seriousness, though, like I I feel like I slept on the OA for for a long time like richie you you've been trying to get me to watch this for years like i i think that you and i w- watched two episodes like two and a half years ago and that's where i last left off on it so i, I just like dove right into it and yeah i was like whoa i'm just gonna keep watching this until the very end i mean i haven't seen any of the season two yet i'm waiting for that but yeah i was very pleasantly surprised by this show very pleasantly yeah i uh yeah i do recall yeah that was so long ago actually that we watched the first two episodes and then um yeah do you do you want to tell us like your first impressions or like um you know like what what got you that that push i guess to be like you know what i'm i'm just gonna watch it now like uh yeah what was that first inkling that you got you're like all right i'm jumping in like i believe i'm gonna leave my front door open you know i i gotta say it was probably listening to the episodes that you and pat put out like i i I listened to the first two episodes because you know i watched those two like a a while ago and i remember like certain details that you were both like talking about during the recaps of them and i was like you know what i'm just gonna do it and then i feel like episode three like, had I just stuck it out for, like, another episode um, instead of, like, falling off of it and doing whatever I've been doing for, like, the past few years, um, I probably would have finished up the entire season much sooner than I had otherwise, you know? Um, because I feel like episode three is where a lot of the... Ge- like, it, it starts to shed its its um, its initial... Uh, pollings I sh- or, or initial um i don't e- i don't know what i'm what i'm trying to say but there's like this thing that shows do and i was listening to something earlier that was like talking about like uh anime and it was saying that a lot of uh anime tends to start off like with all the basic tropes and everything to like draw people in and then like after its initial wave has like washed over you that's when it becomes like the actual show that it's meant to be which you could say that about like any show 
um even like not anime but like anything Mm -hmm. and i feel like that's very true for this show as well because for me episode three it starts showing off a bit more of the enclosures of what hap's actually trying to do you start getting a little bit more into the lore of the show rather than uh it just being very esoteric because those those first few the first two episodes i feel were very built upon like a lot of uh, common tropes in like TV shows and stuff like especially centered around high school. Um, I personally am get very tired of like stuff that centers on that specific period of time because it's like I just I just don't have any sort of uh attraction to like watching high schoolers live their lives in like these very extreme set of circumstances. Like to me, I don't, I think that you could, it's like why limit it? Cause it, cause it kind of um, fetishizes that period of time in a very dangerous way that I, I feel, you know, it gets people to, I don't, I don't know. That's a whole other tangent that's waiting to happen, but I'm very glad that it, it didn't focus so heavily on that. Um, Like I, I, I believe you two were like talking about it, like especially with Steve's character in like the first few episodes. And and it sort of comes back like again later on in, in the season. But uh, instead of like fully relying on those sorts of uh, tropes, it goes very deep into this territory where it's begging the viewer to suspend their disbelief. Not, not in like a very, um, uh, not in a in a lame way or anything, but it it's it's more so faith based, if that makes sense. Uh, like taking a leap of faith to be like, okay, I will, I will allow myself to, you know, follow this journey that you're on, and you know, recounting it to these strangers, pretty much. And then as you get deeper and deeper into Prairie's story, it becomes so so dehumanizing and so disgusting to watch at times because it's just so depraved it's it especially with hap like i was telling you both this um you know when i told you that i like watched it like to me hap the thing i i really enjoy about hap's character is that i didn't end up hating him which is really weird because every all signs point to absolutely hating and despising this individual. But it's like the way the show executes all of its ideas, everybody is after the same thing. Like figuring out what comes after death and like what goes on in the mind and if like there's like all these different theories leading to the same thing. And I still don't know why I'm unable to hate Hap. Which deep in my gut it's telling me that i should but um yeah anyways answer your original question uh listening to the first few episodes got me to have that spark or have that uh that kindling sparked once more you know to go back and give it another shot and yeah if anyone is just listening to this episode without having seen uh any of the episodes in general or even have listened to the other episodes you and pat have put out um i highly recommend going back and watching them because it is very much worth it i had a question for you kevin 
mm-hmm. favorite member of the squad or an order of favorites Ooh, an order of favorites yeah who's your number one from the squad of high schoolers and teacher Mm, I gotta say oh god that's tough I like French (laughs) a lot okay French um oh gosh I'm blanking on names hold on uh I'd probably say Steve is probably a bit lower on the list although in the final few episodes like where he actually starts the show uh remorse for his actions like especially during that that scene where he comes home and his dad sits him down he's like okay i just need to take a shower really quick and he's mm-hmm. like rehearsing that inner monologue in his head that's when i really started to turn a corner with him and then um uh is it bba is that is that her name yeah i i really like her character uh i probably list her as number two um and then who's the other oh gosh i'm blanking on the name there's jesse and buck Oh, Buck. Buck is also really good. Um, I feel like I didn't get that much of Jesse's character. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't, mm-hmm. I can't, as far as uh, remembering a lot of key moments with them, I only have one, and that is when they are back at home, like, in, in one of those, like, abandoned houses, and they're, like, talking with their friend, and their friend's asking him, like, oh, did you hang out with that one weird person again? <laughs> Right. Oh, yeah, that was uh, Jesse and his sister. Okay, so it's Jesse's sister. Like, that's that's one of the only key moments that I remember with Jesse character with Jesse's character. Unfortunately, I'd ha- I'd have to rewatch yeah. it again to gain more. But... No, you're right. That was that was really the only moment that yeah. you kind of have, yeah, that time with him alone. So, uh, yeah. So yeah, yeah, it's French BBA, Buck. Uh, Jesse and then Steve. <laughs> I thought Steve was a complete dickhole. No, <laughs> although Steve's no, actually, Steve's my favorite. Steve's my favorite too. Yeah. Okay. Okay. You know what? <laughs> I gotta bring that shower. I mean that uh that, inter- <laughs> that shower mono- that monologue <laughs> scene that he was doing. Uh, <laughs> especially like when he feels remorse after stabbing. I mean, we'll get. I'm sure we'll talk about that, but um. Yeah, him and BBA's dynamic really sold me on on a I don't know, just the latter portion of the show. I was really invested in what was going on with them. Um okay, scrap everything. Scrap everything. <laughs> <laughs> BBA, Steve, French, Buck, Jesse. Yes. All right. Okay. I was just gonna do a little thing of like, oh, it's, I gotta pick Steve. It's like same, you know, hot-blooded, red-haired character. It's like, <laughs> yep, he's Irish. It's, yeah, it's the inverse of me in real life. Like Oscar, Steve, those are my favorites. They're, they're what I want to be to express my, Patrick. you know, emotions. But I'm Patrick. more of a Buck, I think. That's why Buck's number two. <laughs> the the actor's name is Patrick Gibson, so I think there's also that. Oh, we're name brothers. You, you, know, yes. you know who I really didn't like? Who? Nancy. Oh. I hated Nancy. Oh my god. The Borg Queen. Like I'm just trying to just trying to have it have a good time. We got some breadsticks on the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Nancy, they're unlimited, uh, please. <laughs> <laughs> um, wow, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm sad that, uh, you know, her scene with uh, Abel didn't turn things around. But hey, let's, let's recap now from the beginning and, and then move forward, right? So, um, yeah, we start off with the intro in which we see the image of the wolf, the wolf that is on Owe's sweater. And then we actually continue um, with Oe's story as she recaps what happens between um, Hap and the sheriff. As Hap gets caught up, right? He um, let his guard down and the sheriff caught him in the act. And then um, with a bit of convincing, Hap has the sheriff, well, the sheriff brought his wife Evelyn anyway. But Hap tells him, hey, there is a way to cure her disease. And yeah, he, he lets out Homer and Oe out of their cages so that they can do the movements to cure Evelyn. So what did you guys think of this whole sequence? I'm going to cash in now because I got a lot of other stuff wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but I did call that happening, if I'm correct. Was that or he was a he was in on the captivity? Um, yeah. Oh I yes. Guess I remember. Yeah, I think that was one of your theories from episode seven. Yeah, I was like, oh, he's clearly like, yeah, it's gonna be like a Green Mile situation. And uh, yeah, it, it's completely believable that he's desperate enough. It's a little, I don't know, hard to say. But again, it's just like desperation is the motivator for him to get his wife back. It's like, sure, I'll try it. I can still just arrest you. I have the yeah. gun. You don't. I was thinking that same exact thing, too, especially at the end of episode seven. Oh, yeah. You know, it, it doesn't it end with uh, the sheriff's like gun up against Hap's head. Yeah, that was episode six. Oh, and then episode uh, seven is where we are back at Crestwood the whole episode. And then we didn't even get any scenes um, with Hap at all until this one. Okay. Wow. They really did it to the fan base like that. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I was kind of in the same camp too where that the sheriff was going to not end up taking Hap into, into custody, especially because that meeting that they had prior to the sheriff coming back which is a uh, he was just doing sort of like a routine call but then like we we found out that he was coming up there to seek out help from hap and to see like what the likelihood of him being able to do anything to improve the state of his his wife's health condition i there was a part of me that was like finally like justice but then i was like oh wait no that hardly ever it hardly ever comes out to be that way. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I really hate Hap. <laughs> um, but, you know, then again, he's not your prototypical villain. You know, he's not someone who's doing all this to um, destroy the world or something like that. Right. So um it is slightly easier to empathize and to see it from his perspective. But um, yeah, we'll get more into that later after our recap. So 
Um, he gets them to perform the movements, but Homer in hesitation says, Hey, you know, if we just wait here and we don't do anything, um, Hap can go to prison and, you know, everyone can escape. And then OA refutes that notion that like they can't do that because, you know, they are not like Hap. You know, they're not monsters. She is saying, Hey, we have to do this. And yeah, that was such a beautiful moment. Like, I love that OA never breaks away from who she is and what her purpose is. And yeah, I, I love Britt Marling as OA. She does such an incredible job. I, I really like the character's static uh, nature. She sort of has some growth in terms of being able to, I guess, redis or discover new things as they come throughout the series and you know with the the change in vision as well but i think for the most part her character remained true to herself since the very get-go like she and if she has changed she's she's managed to keep that sort of those core set of values intact throughout it all like that she still has the same amount of conviction from episode one even mm-hmm. I love, uh, I love, uh, and, uh, you know, it's kind of, they're kind of like playing with the thing. Like even Homer, when he's saying it, I'm like, yeah, that's not happening. Like, no, she has the indomitable will. She, mm-hmm. like, she's completely on the mission. She's like, it doesn't matter. No, that doesn't matter. It's like, we got to help this woman. And who cares if we go back in captivity? We got the, you know, we're pursuing our answer through the movements. Like, if, yeah, it's like hard to picture. Like, if they were to just be freed from Hap, like, would it, would they still practice the, finding the fifth movement? Would they? It's, it's like, it's kind of like a not. It's 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 not an option, even though it is an option for OA. It's like, oh no, of course not. We gotta help this person, which is priority one, and then as well as her commitment to the pursuit of what they all are and what everything means. The same as Hap, even. In his pursuit of what what's after, they're on the parallel adventure, even though they're on opposite ends of the experience in that journey. Yeah, and then as soon as they start doing the movements, um, the lights start flickering, and then they couldn't see anything because they go out and half has um, thermal imaging. So he was able to see what they're doing in the dark. And then we see that it's actually working because Evelyn starts to move. And and then she uh, whispers into um, Owe's ear and she's telling her that, you know, when she was a little girl, she was told, I believe, what was it in a dream or something? I don't recall like how she recounted these events, but she was told that um, she was going to uh, save two angels one day and help them escape. And I thought this was such a powerful moment. Like I was almost brought to tears. I'm like, Oh my gosh, like this is so, um, nerve wracking. This is so intense. And this is such an emotional moment as well. And she was saying, you know, she, she has a message that she's bringing to them and it was a movement and wow, it was actually the fifth movement. And not only does she give it to them, 
but we see Hap look very closely and observe them very closely. And he also sees it too. So like, I just love this whole back and forth exchange and um, the fact that Hap is just, he's never a step behind. He's always right there with them. Um, so yeah. Uh, what did you guys think of this moment, especially after the fact? I think that um, it, I I was sort of going into it expecting, you know, Renata, that's her name, right? The, the latest captive that happened, yeah. Homer. Yeah, I thought that somehow she was going to be the the main key to it all, along with the um the woman who whose voice changed. I forget her name. Rachel. Rachel. Yeah, I thought that Rachel was going to be the final one to get the like the fifth movement down. So this moment, I was it was kind of which brings me back to like the same feeling that I I have about the show, and that it like really does like a fine job of of uh maintaining this balance between like being cliche versus endearing um i feel like it does just enough to like build on top of like this sort of deus ex machina moment by making it all the more endearing with prairie and homer's ability to just go against every fiber of their being or at least in homer's case uh you know if there's a possibility of escape to try and save somebody's life and i thought that this entire scene was it was it was harrowing especially like once once it finally once the sequence comes to a conclusion and what hap does afterwards but i thought that it was i haven't i haven't seen anything like this before in a tv show especially with using such like with using choreography to communicate via bodily movements uh, in tandem with such a metaphysical concept, you know? And it, it actually being able to heal someone and to, you, just to create like this link that has existed since this, since this woman was a child up to this point in time now, it's like, do you one question that I had was like, do you think that she held on to the same conviction since she was a child? Like she firmly believed that this was happen, even as like the disease was taking over all of her motor controls up to this point in time. I don't know. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, I think upon this moment, I mean I think that like right when she's able to speak and communicate as like the first thing she brought up, right. Um, that stuck with her, her whole life, whether, you know, whether she saw it in a dream or a vision or, um, yeah. Did, like, she, did she almost drown as a child? I think she had an NDE or it's like, yeah, that's where she got the vision. Oh, right. Since she sees, I think Prairie also in the water as a child or something like that. Similar. But uh, yeah, I had the I had similar. I was like, oh, this is kind of you know Deus, Deus Ex Machina. But when she was like, uh, I was kind of for the first second, I was kind of like, oh, come on, this is out of nowhere. But then when she's like, what is it? Uh, she's like, well, I got to share your, the move with you guys. It's like, oh, okay, I'm 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 
ticked off and like pouting. Like this is out of nowhere. I don't feel like this is earned. And then she's like, I get to hug my but when she goes, I get to hug my husband one more time, I'm like, okay, that okay, that explains everything. This <laughs> is I right. now find this extremely endearing and uh you know the the whole like when you guys mentioned the sickness has taken her and she's losing all her facil- faculties. Even if she like genuinely believed that what the girl said or something like that was going to happen. I like to think her conviction of like, oh, I get to hug my husband one more time. It's like, oh, man, she knows what's going to happen. But she held on not just to give the message, but just to get that final embrace. And like, OK, this is so endearing. I love it. <laughs> it's not like a lazy, like out of nowhere, flip the hyperdrive and destroy spaceships. It's like, oh, this is very sentimental or just emotionally powerful enough to make me go. Like maybe I'd, maybe Rachel and Renata serve another purpose in the future, but uh, I'm mm-hmm. more willing to accept. That's where they got the fifth movement from, and it makes the whole scene so uh, tragic, especially with the fact that she kind of knows what's going to happen next. Right, and what happens next is they get shot, and Homer and Oa were about to embrace each other, and he he like was adamant about getting them separate like he was trying to separate them and tell them to like you know step away and yeah that was so hard to watch because you know they've they love each other and they've been in the same cage for seven years without yeah without uh any like real food real touch and yeah that just hurt to see um see hap uh just break everything up again and um and yeah i I do agree like yeah renata and rachel will serve a greater purpose for sure um i like to believe that and especially since like we didn't really get much of renata only for like one episode um we do know that she did give one of the movements during her time there so it's just yeah it's just that rachel was the only one who did not give up a movement and that was done with a purpose but uh, fortunately, it was from Evelyn. But unfortunately, she had to give up her life for it. And like you said, she probably knew that was going to happen. And yeah, so um, he locks Homer in the room with them while he uh, drugs away. And he takes her away off to the side of the road. And Away slowly realizes what's going on. And then Hap says, I don't need you anymore. I have Homer now. I have the fifth movement. I'm leaving you exactly as I found you. And yeah, he leaves her there on the side of the road. He drives off and she chases after him, screaming, come back, come back. And that was so gut-wrenching. That was like a punch to the stomach right there. And we jump back into the present. And her story gets interrupted by um, the the other kids' families. So, and, um, and Nancy. Yes, <laughs> and Nancy. Ugh. <laughs> that moment pissed me off so much. I had to pause. I had to pause the show. This. <laughs> Again, another testament to the show. There's a couple times I'll be watching something and I'll have to pause it and like stand up 
and like going god damn it because <laughs> <laughs> yeah like when it cuts to the situation where everyone's like standing in the doorway like what <laughs> what's going on here and it's like been building up in the background the whole season it's like oh man everything's damn it <laughs> everything's coming home everything's found out stuff's gonna change or be interrupted and yeah i just got like that wave of like i gotta stop this for a minute <laughs> and get this out that that scene where hap leaves away on the side of the road it i think when i was watching it it was so gun gut-wrenching to me because Hap goes through, throughout the entire series, he goes through all of these meticulous methods of concealing his identity, of concealing his location, all these details that might lead back to him. And even, like, the episode where Homer tries to escape and he's, like, out in the streets, he's Hap finds him and is like, oh, well, what are you going to do? Tell him that, like oh you you were in like some mining cave or something like oh there's like there's hundreds of thousands of those abandoned across the united states like nobody's gonna believe you and it's like it's just the the length that he goes to to be like a ghost and to just haunt these poor individuals and rob them of their vitality Time after time after time after time until he doesn't need them anymore. He basically like wrung out OA like a sponge and just left her on the side of the road. You're like, okay, I'm done with you. I don't I don't need you. And it's like you just robbed this poor person of how many years? Like it's been they were there for like seven years, right? Or something like that. Or Yeah. Yeah, and to just leave him where, where they found him it's like it, it's kind of like that warped it's a very warped way of construing uh that that way of thinking of like when you go out like hiking in the woods or out in nature it's like okay leave things better than when you found them it's like such a warped mentality kind of in in parallel with that but not really and that's that's like why I say like I can't hate Hap because he's just so detached from reality. It's like you can't hate somebody who is I mean, I'm sure that other people can justify it in their own way, but to me he's like not even human and I feel like you have to be human to hate another human or to to receive the hatred of another human. And it yeah, like just that scene really sealed it for me with it with hat and yeah and then just to have it all cut off from the parents was like a, it was like a one-two punch <laughs> i i uh i think i know what you're saying about hap uh, he feels somehow very uh he, he feels sympathetic still even with all the horrible stuff he does and then uh i think a big one in this for me i felt was that he selects uh prairie to be abandoned and that's one of those things like oh like a shittier not shittier but like a a more conventional thing would be like the the male captor becomes obsessed with prairie and this the narrative kind of focuses on him removing her from the group for himself but the fact that he's like no you're you're the one 
who in previous episodes he like offers like just me and you can go and do this on the little St. James Island and get, be rich and heal people. We don't have, we can stop it now. And then uh, his uh, final decision, which is to take out the uh, the OA and drop her off, also reflects that she has the, tr- the true will. I don't know any of the future plans for the show, but she seems to be the character with the truest will. So everything's going to work out in her favor, no matter what happens. Because she's the OA. And uh, I think Hap knows that. Hap's is like a sympathetic, like, not weak, but he doesn't have the... He doesn't have what Prairie has or the OA has, and he covets it so much. Like, he wants it so bad. And, uh, yeah, he kind of picks her to remove because she's kind of a threat in that regard because she does have the will. She has the fortitude, and he says, yeah, it's like a... But he also loves her, it seems like, or cares about her dearly. But again, he's also holding her captive and is like an inhumane monster. It's He's more complex than just, like... You know, like a a shittier show would have him like sexually assault her at that moment or something. Where mm-hmm. the whole time he's more threatening, like physically, like I'm gonna kill you. I'm not. There's no right. It's not like oh no, this is gonna get gross. It's like oh god, is she he's gonna? Also, she's. <laughs> he's also very clinical about his abuse as well. Like he he does it in a very observant, like in a very distance and observational way where he doesn't attach emotions to any of them and like he feeds them like these pellets and it, it's it's almost like they're he's treating them all like lab rats and it's like oh you don't give them names because when you, I mean even though like they did they all do have names but it's just like one of those things where you create more and more distance between the two to prevent any form of like emotional bonding from occurring but at the same time, he ends up allowing himself to do that. And I don't know, he's, he's a very unique villain and probably one of the most compelling ones I've, I've seen in a long time. Uh, one that I can't immediately figure out, like, OK, do I hate? Do I not hate? Like, what, what is the deal with this character? <laughs> I could see him getting a redemption later on in the hypothetical season four or five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's like one of those antagonists where it's not black and white. Especially with the with the moments where he's hearing Renata's guitar playing. I don't know. He's like able to pick up on all of these very ethereal uh, sentiments and energy that each of the characters have he has like a certain knack for it i mean yeah he he does the research to like look up these people who have ndes but at the same time he shares some sort of bond with them and i feel like we didn't get much of a backstory on hap to begin with like we didn't get everything there is to know about him other than these very clinical tests that he's doing like very depraved and dehumanizing tests. I'm I'm sticking with uh there's a you know the deep state astral projection force. I'm sticking with that that show theory. Oh, and he's like sh- a part of it? Or yeah, or like he's stumbling into it and then in the future seasons. Cuz it's supposed to go for 5, correct? Yeah. 
Yeah, I can see it blowing up or like, you know, season one's like this enclosed story. I don't know what two is. And then like three to four, like the scale like would naturally progress. Like Twin Peaks is about it's like, a, you know, who killed Laura Palmer? And then season three is like so much more about grander scale right. stuff. About the birth of evil. Yes. I can see the OA seems like it's definitely on the similar track of and then my conspiracy stuff is like, oh, yeah, I bet there's like a multiverse CIA project, especially with that other scientist scene. Right. Like that just makes me that makes me so convinced that like I could see Hap is accidentally stumbling into this stuff that's probably already existing. In this show's universe, God, I'm. They better bring it back, Richie. I'm starting to feel it now. <laughs> oh, man. And we haven't I even think... seen season two yet. No, but I think it. this is stage one for you, Pat. <laughs> You're going through the stages. I think in the in the last episode I was listening to of, uh, of the episodes that you've been doing, I think it was episode four. Um, I want to say that you you were both like talking about like the the possibility of it coming back and richie i think that you were saying that a lot of people were saying that you know they have certain feelings or sentiments towards the ending of season 1 and season 2 they were saying that like something along the lines of if it had to end there it would be acceptable and that's how i feel about like this first season like i felt like it was although there's quite a bit of loose ends I feel like there was a proper release of emotion and, mm-hmm. and purging, so to speak. And even the unresolved nature of it, it just reminds me of oh, my favorite story ever <laughs> of just being left unresolved, which is berserk. Mm. Um, and I, it's, it's like a very fitting sense of, of unresolved. And I'm I'm excited to know that like there is a complete other season too, because I have a feeling that it's gonna end in a similar way, or it's gonna have a lot of loose ends, but if it ends there definitively, it's acceptable. And mm-hmm. I don't know. That's that's just how I feel about it though. <laughs> hey, we'll we'll keep that theory in the drawer, and we'll come back to that. <laughs> but Pat, we'll see. I, I gotta say like i i shared that similar notion of um especially with that scene of happened the other scientist mm-hmm. it definitely seemed like he was stumbling into a very hidden sector that I, I mean especially if like there's there's another scientist doing similar experiments on and people then, yeah. like, in the morgue of all places and he whips out a gun <laughs> when he's like what have you found <laughs> <laughs> dude he was just as menacing if not even more so than half he's more <laughs> cold that part was so disturbing to me because just of the location of the lab it's it's in just a, a normal hospital just in a morgue that isn't used anymore that nobody goes to and it it made me think about all of the other places that exist in the world and all of the hidden atrocities that go unnoticed it reminded me of uh oh sorry oh no go for it say it reminded me of reanimator yes Mm -hmm. 
like that one. Yeah, I was like, there's some evil stuff going on here for sure. Some Nazi occultism going on here. Mm -hmm. Like I, I, I was listening to this one podcast one time called uh, "Cold Ca- Cold Case," I want to say, and it was like talking about like this um, rural location out in America, like out in the Midwest, where it was just houses. Like your closest neighbor was like three miles, like three to five miles away from you, and it was this uh this abandoned factory or no this abandoned warehouse that belonged to someone and they had like a full-on dungeon in there that was like devoted to just committing some of the most vile and inhumane acts against like captives and stuff and like that's what this show reminded me of like it i was like oh yeah i i believe that this this happens and it's disgusting to and even it makes me feel sad to even know that i that i do believe that those sorts of things like happen more often than we'd like to imagine yeah it's especially like i just want to know why hap even got to this point and i'm hoping that season two elaborates on that a bit more because it's like what's the one common thing that people want to uh, I guess have resolved when being dealt something that they deem is unfair. It's like they want to know the reasoning for it, right? Like that's that's the ultimate thing. I feel. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like the answer, even if Hap were to give a straight answer, it would probably be unsatisfactory. You know. He yeah. Would, yeah. He he even says like, "There's nothing a man can't stand," right? in the episode where he talks to um, Leon about what their work and they, they justify everything that they're doing because, um, you know, like the inventors of the past, you know, they, they had to make some kind of compromise or sacrifice, you know, the, the x-ray was, was, uh, found because, you know, a man killed his wife. Right. But now like they found something, um, so significant that it changed, it changed the world forever. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, after everyone gets dispersed from the house, uh, Abel and Nancy try to go visit. Um, I believe it was the Winchells, Steve's parents' house, and they were not allowed to get in. But uh, as they were leaving, French comes out outside and he talks to them very briefly. And he ensures them that um, Oe's story um, will get out and that he will try to um, prove that it was true. And to Nancy and Abel's surprise, um, they ask him, like, oh, so she told you everything? And he said, yeah, she she did. And, um, yeah, it just broke my heart a little bit more because, like, you just see the reaction on their faces, like, they... This whole time she's been back, you know, she hasn't told anybody her story except for these people that she barely even knew. And, um, yeah, it's even, it's even encapsulated in this, in the next moment in which, um, Abel's just sitting at the dinner table and the phone kept ringing and ringing and he just rips it out of the wall out of frustration. And, um, yeah, I I love Scott Wilson in this final episode. It's, it's one of his like last few roles that he was in before he passed away. And I thought he did such a great job. 
Um, yeah, and then um, they actually had to leave their house for a little bit to go to a hotel because they're getting so much media attention. And, you know, they, they finally... They finally get the story um, from uh, OA. She decides to tell them how it was like to live under perhaps captivity and how the room that she was in was, you know, very compact, you know, just as small as the um, the hotel room that they're currently staying in. Now, you know, she, um, she slept uh, sometimes in her bed. She sometimes slept underneath her bed. Um, yeah, she drank water from the drow and, uh, she ate food from animals. She, she went several years without touch is what she told them. And then, um, and then, yeah, they, uh, the next morning, Nancy pulls out the note. She brought it with her to, um, show to Abel. I'm pretty sure because, you know, that ever since Abel was questioning her about it, um, she felt that guilt and coming back, she wanted to show him, you know, and, and of course, naturally he's very upset. Um, he's perturbed by this. So he goes and tries to make breakfast and he says, I'm busy, Nancy, I'm making a waffle and then I'm going to eat it. <laughs> and, um, so yeah, we get this really, really nice moment between the two where they get to talk about it. And how Abel says she's lied to him for seven years and she just, she just kept that from him. That really hurt him. And, and Nancy breaks down. She tells him the reason why she never showed him is because um, she, she said that she needed her love. She said that she needed somebody to love her. And she thought that um, OA was always going to need her because she was blind. And that, that was so hard for her to accept. It was so hard for her to even admit that. And I think, I think in a way that part of the story, or at least like, you know, she was able to um, rekindle something out of that, out of telling that to Abel. Um, yeah, how do you guys feel about that? I know, I know, Kevin, you're not the biggest fan of the character Nancy, but um, I think this is one of the few moments like, I appreciate it because she she like broke down and she let down her walls and she finally finally let it out. I think that that was the reason why I was frustrated with her character to begin with is that she constantly has these walls up and she lashes out whenever she feels that anyone is encroaching on them and especially with that scene of the the person wanting or the person taking a photo of them while they're eating and everything. It's like, I get that she's upset about it, but obviously that isn't the sole thing that she's upset about. And it's very aggravating to me because here you have somebody who has lived almost an entire life.
and when they've been gone for a long period of time and then you find that you have a sort of reunion again it's like i mean it, it's sort of similar to like being afraid to like go on a plane again or to go in a movie theater uh after like all these terrible events like happen in them it's like you can't prevent them from living from living your life the way you want to and here she is like deeming soul authority over this grown woman <laughs> i just feel like very aggravating it but no i i do agree that this scene was was much much needed especially just for the catharsis of it all of being able to finally let them down and have like an authentic conversation and i think that the waffle scene is easily my favorite scene with abel because here you have somebody who is completely in control of their emotions. He he knows that he's going to be upset if he doesn't have time to process how Nancy lied to him about that entire note that Prairie left. And he's just trying to enjoy breakfast, trying to eat because he's hungry. And because it's like, all out of all like our basic needs, like if <laughs> hunger is like one of them, right? Like he he's like doing all of these things almost like a to do list in order to make sure that he's had enough time to like process everything to then come back to Nancy about this conversation. That way he can be at his best rather than giving in to his worst inclination. Yeah. yeah. He's able to like conjure up something within her to where they're finally on the same page. Yeah, and it's uh yeah, it's it's upsetting, but it's also heartfelt, you know. That it comes after the it comes after his biggest meltdown too, you know, with the phone and everything. And um just seeing him <clears throat> just seeing that breakdown and just seeing him be at his most vulnerable. Um, yeah, I can't imagine like having to live through that, you know, like your, your companion, like the, the person you've married, you know, the person you've known like for most of your life um, probably um, has lied to you for seven years. And that, that is, that is a long time to, to process something like that. Um, and yeah. And, uh, what happens uh, after the scene is that uh, we do get um, OA trying to contact the Crestwood Five. She was trying to look for um, uh, to, a way to talk to Steve, but then again, she can't because um, you know Steve's has been um, pretty much disowned from his own family, and she tries to find French, but she only knows him by French or Alfonso, and. Um, yeah, she was having a very hard time um, trying to reconnect with everyone. And after this, uh, we see um, French doing research with, with Steve as they uh, try to find um, more information on Hap. And, um, and then they stumble upon the YouTube video of Away playing the theme song. Uh, at the subway station so at least there's more proof of that um, our first story they're, um, they're able to co um, uh, corroborate uh, her story even further 
because you know they're trying to prove it to be true it's and, pretty damn definitive too yeah yeah uh man you have no idea like i'm a part of like the the oa community so like there's so many people that even try to prove otherwise you know that like hey you know this isn't yeah uh maybe i'll get more into that toward the end or when we talk to season two because i don't yeah i don't want to talk too much but it's just uh yeah even even when they show you definitive proof it's like other people just find a way to you know kind of overthink things like don't yes there's a lot of details about the show like they've gone through such great lengths to tie everything together but yeah let's not I don't know. It's frustrating to see when, when people just overthink everything. And, um, yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, we get, uh, we segue into, um, French breaking into, uh, the Johnson's house to find any more details, uh, about OA. And as he's uh, looking in there, there's a discovery um, that he finds very surprising, which is these books, um, like the Ogliarchs and the um, the Iliad by Homer, and um, the books about angels. And he gets extremely um, flustered by this, that he rushes to the bathroom to wash his face. And then he sees a, a reflection, or we see a reflection of Homer. Um, yeah, what, what do you guys make of this? What, what is, do you... Well, like, what connections do you feel like that they have I, together? I texted you immediately when I was watching this. <laughs> I was really, I was really disappointed with French, <laughs> and I feel like it's uh, maybe narratively, it feels like a red herring. It feels like a bit of a little injection of doubt to allow for other stuff in the future mm-hmm. to be re-revealed or revealed even more depth, and then. That reveal that reveals heightened by this little bit of doubt placed in you. Where I'm like, no, it's that it, it, this proves nothing, French. I, you're overreacting, and then very conspicuously on his way downstairs, <laughs> here comes Mr. FBI. <laughs> like, oh yeah, she made it all up. She told me details that we don't see in the show. I believe she doesn't she doesn't like give them de- him details about it. Right. But he's saying like, oh, no, it's like it's definitely made up. She's just, you know, using you guys to process or rehabilitate herself. You did you did a good thing. Uh, don't look into this anymore. Is what he's saying. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's where more of the conspiracy comes out in me of like. It's like since we don't see. Prairie tell the FBI agent anything i am extremely conspicuous of how he's how he theoretically knows stuff and how that it definitively didn't happen so yeah and especially with earlier in the season when he's like oh i saw your malnutrition i saw your medical reports like it did happen yeah he's a little he's a little untrustworthy character especially in this episode (laughs) and you know french is a little gullible or two like how do you not come on how do you not associate homer with the iliad <laughs> it's like it's a name it's like an ancient name it's like oh it's like he if he, if he found out the simpsons dvd 
<laughs> I was about to say, oh you know. Oh my god. People watch Simpsons. <laughs> yeah. That too. To me when I was when I was watching it and that entire scene happened, I was kind of thrown off just for the fact of like French going to the length of like breaking in to their house, like just on a whim. Like I get that, like they they hightailed it out of there because of all the media exposure and everything, but it's like, what if they were just gone for a few days? Like, you wouldn't break into somebody else's house. Um, and then the fact that the FBI agent was there, I was like, what? okay, so they just happened to break in on the same exact day. The no, they, exact day. they're surveying from, it. There's a squad on them. Yeah, There's exactly. a squad on the house. So, so, like, and then, like, the more and more I thought about it, I was like, okay, they're obviously, like, uncovering something here. Otherwise, why else would this FBI agent, like, just happen to be there? And then even with the books that uh, French came across, I have two thoughts on it. The first one is, um, I mean, you you, you were both like talking about like uh, the, you know, planting the seed of doubt of uh, her narrative being made up. Um, I felt like that, that is definitely like, of course, like one, one of the takes of it. And to me, I was like, oh, well, what if she's just had those books since she was a child? Or, some, like, what if they were, like, given to her over time? Or what if, like, after this event, she went to, like, the library and was just, like, wanting to get closer to, you know, this thing, this entire, like, seven-year period of time to, like, try and uncover or make sense of anything? Because, yeah. like, I'm sure that there's, like, all th- sorts of things that, like, we hold on to during our lifetimes that remind us of, like, other periods of time. You know, whether it's a book, whether it's a movie, whether it's like a um, any sort of a memento, you know. But then like my second thought on it is like, OK, I feel like there is I mean, obviously, like there's the possibility of like of the multiverse in in this show of uh, being able to span through one dimension and appear in another. And it also got me thinking about synchronicity. Uh, just in Jungian terms, because, uh, you know, when French like sees himself in the mirror and then it, he appears as Homer, uh, and then also with the links of the books, you know, relating back to like all these core concepts in her narrative, in Oe's narrative, um, and then French just happening to come across them, it's like all so uncanny because it's like there are many times that synchronicity hits us in our lifetimes where it signals a deeper connection that is buried within our subconscious in a way. And it seems like French could have been deeply afraid by, you know, uncovering these, these books. Um, he could have been scared that what he was been told is entirely false and entirely fabricated, or it could have been, that touching moment of like, oh, this is bringing up details that, you know, we we were all just beginning to learn about, and now like, is is this like milestone? Is is there like more to this journey? Like, what? How do I respond to this? You know. Yeah. Um. When I first watched this part, and even after watching it again, um. It is it is a very strange scene in that like how they bumped into each other. Um but um 
I see it as Raheem, um, the therapist, the FBI therapist who uh, counsels OA. Um, I see him trying to comfort um, French through the situation because he tells him like, "Hey, hey, you did you did really good. You know, you you did um, you helped her." And um, that's kind of all, you know. That's kind of what I really took away from that scene is that, um, I don't know. I didn't really like feel the malicious intent, but at the same time, it was very strange. And like, you know, I wonder like what his role is in all of this. And, uh, I think you guys do bring up good points. Um, but what's you know, weird though, what's weird though, is that he's trying to comfort him and he, like almost in like a, in like a post mortem way, you know, mm-hmm. Where he's like, oh, well, she's dead now. Uh, you did your best to to help her along her way and ease her into the night, you know? And it's like, it, it, she, what if they're coming back tomorrow? Like, <laughs> I don't know. It's like, <laughs> like, what if they just went out of town for a few? Like, I think that, like, I, I thought that that scene was very touching, especially, like, when he was comforting French and, like, you know, they, he hugged him and everything. Like, I thought that was very touching, but at the same time, I'm like a bit confused by how it was, I guess it's, it's existence, you know, or I guess like some of the dialogue choices. Mm -hmm. I am, I am so, I am so what's called on this thing. I'm so headstrong. It's, there's a deeper conspiracy. He may as well have told French that uh, Oswald killed Kennedy and like go back to sleep <laughs> and he's, tuck, he's he's tucking him in for bed and he's like okay here's here's your good night hug go back to sleep <laughs> and i want to connect it with uh nancy and abel's like we get the scene of their growth right before this but then we it seems like nancy's getting over her stuff or she's she's realizing her you know her psychological issue with her uh, daughter prairie and how it's an unhealthy relationship that she needs to amend and abel is you know i believe abel will uh resolve you know his betrayal and feeling like they clearly love each other and prairie and then uh but then things kind of return to a status quo really soon it's kind of unhealthy it's an unhealthy return i feel like the fbi's injection is a bit of the same for french like it feels like, like yeah like how definitive you're pointing out it seems like how he's speaking so definitively and like sure it's for french's own good because maybe he got wrapped up in the narrative but it just it feels like there's a darker undertone that is connected to something bigger i'm not saying nancy and abel are in on it but like it feels like there's like an like the yeah it feels like a it feels like a meta critique of the status quo and when we get to the real conclusion, I got an even bigger rant. But yeah, I just, I just want to get that out there. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. Let's segue into the next sequence in which we get French um, exposing the books to everybody, you know, and we, we see the disappointment and we see how distraught everyone is. And Buck takes one of the books. I believe he takes um, the one about the angels. And um, yeah, that was pretty upsetting. They they all just walk away, and I think that they, that in a way fractured the group because um, yeah, 
uh, we do see later on, you know, everything just goes back to normal, right? But um, yeah, we we get that little scene, and then um, yeah, I think time passes by, and an OA is under house arrest because we see that she's wearing an ankle monitor, and yeah, we know that she's taking online courses now, and you know, she's slowly integrating back into doing like normal things you know like being able to have healthy routines and she has hobbies and you know like she's doing some gardening and um we also find out that bba got fired from her job and yeah she's packing up her things in a box and um and then we get a, a scene a very beautiful scene that i really love one of my favorite shots this French is in the, the cafeteria and he charges his phone and then he just uh, glances off um, towards the, the trees um, that are like blowing in the wind. And um, I saw a video reaction on YouTube, someone commenting on this saying like, wow, this is such a beautiful scene. They're saying how, how rare it is to really capture um, a sequence like that. We're just recording, you know, the wind blowing into the trees. And I wonder if it was fabricated or not, because um, it would seem like it is a very difficult thing to do to find something natural like that. So, yeah, I thought that was such a such a lovely scene um, that we get. And, uh, yeah, it just reminded me of, you know, when Hap talked about uh, death and how he heard the the whoosh, you know. And I think maybe that is a reference to that. And we do get a reference to that later at the end, right? And um, yeah, uh, away, she has the visions again uh, while she's in the bathtub, the milky bathtub. <laughs> and um, yeah. yeah. I was doing, oh yeah, it's clearly to hide the nudity. I did want to say you could easily find that beauty. It's all around us. Mm-hmm. There's, there's there's little that's i i really enjoyed that scene there's little it's like a, if you if you just look a little bit you'll you'll find that natural beauty somewhere in your daily life like i love looking at the clouds when they're nice and big and the sun's hitting them the right way one of my favorite feelings is letting the wind go in between your fingers like you just open your hand up a little bit just on a slightly gusty day yeah i got to i got to remember to try that now it's like I've always I can think of like several key moments where I've done that in my life. Um, Dude, me too. One, Especially as a kid. Mm-hmm. It's just so poetic feeling. Like it's just like a nice, healthy reminder of like being alive and being able to like being able to revel in tranquility. And that's what that scene reminded me of. It's like it's like a balance of life and death, all encapsulated in like the equilibrium of the flow of life and flow of the universe, I should say. Then speaking of life and death, I was also unsettled by the sequence because I uh, recognize that as being from the OA's vision. Mm. That shot of the uh-huh. trees that I want to say a billion percent is like a part of that vision before the gun shoots. Right. You, then, uh, you yeah. picked that up early on. Yeah, I was like, oh yeah, this is like he's at the cafeteria. There's some kind of vision connection. I'm like, oh, I hope this doesn't go where I think it's going. 
I think what was so harrowing even more for me was like we get like all of these little tiny glimpses and how life carries on and how these bonds that they once shared with all with one another are now disintegrating before their very eyes you know it's the last isn't it the last day of school i want to say something like that it, sh- it certainly feels like it it's like before they go on a big break or something like that um but you just see like all of them like slowly going going back to the lives that they once had before they all met and it's like oh well did this even happen like that's that's one common motif that i keep thinking back on in terms of this show is having like these very unique set of circumstances happen almost in like a sudden flurry and then all of a sudden it's gone and then all you have is the impression of it and it's like oh well what do you make of that do you try to remember the grooves of the impression and try to remember what that sensation felt like when it first impacted you but over time it's like the edges wear away and life continues and then it leads up to that deeply unsettling moment like i i i as i was watching i'm like oh god please do not like i have a feeling that something bad's gonna happen oh the wide cafeteria shot yeah i was like what (laughs) usually goes wrong at schools oh the classic white guy (laughs) bringing in a bringing in a assault rifle (laughs) like (laughs) Yeah. Oh, uh, was it a gun, right? <laughs> um, yeah, we do get that sequence, um, which is what, yeah, OA was seeing in her visions, right? She hops out of the tub. She runs downstairs. She, uh, Abel sees her and she says, I know what to do. I know what it is now. And he doesn't say a word and he just lets her go. She runs down the street. She just frantically makes her way over to the school. And yeah, we get we get these like little moments, but right before the gunman shows up, like um, you know, Steve is talking to his you know new little girlfriend Kathy, and um, you know Buck is sitting at a different table admiring you know this other person, and you know we get Jesse and his friends right. Um, he receives like a gift, like this weed pillow that his friend made him. Um, yeah, we get all these little moments, and 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 before we know it like yeah the gunman shows up starts firing off and and his friend uh jesse's friend pushes him to the ground and everyone everyone in a panic starts you know um uh, uh, hiding underneath the tables people are rushing to the doors and um yeah people are trying to escape and we get bba in her situation where she's carrying out her box and she's about to leave and principal gilchrist is like come on let's go and she just drops her box and says you know my 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 boys and, and she runs she runs off to go find them and that's so like that's such a harrowing moment um yeah i love phyllis smith in this role like this is my favorite role from her um she, yeah she does such a great yeah i was so scared with how much she was saying i can go anywhere and <laughs> how things were ramping up yeah. Right. The decision they go back. I was like, "Oh God, <laughs> she's you, hero, you absolute hero." That that entire sequence was so bone chilling to me. 
And one of my favorite things about it is that they never showed the face of the assailant because I feel like that's that's like one of the problems with like uh, news outlets and stuff is that they put a name and a face to the the perpetrator, of course, but in a way it like almost glorifies them and it, it creates like grounds for fetish for fetishization and, and all these sorts of things. And I just loved how this this assailant was just a faceless individual. And the I think that that's what made it even more terrifying to me is that it could be anyone who mm-hmm. could have walked up onto those grounds and casually just locked all the doors, you know, put chains around them beforehand and it's just casually walking. And then all of a sudden that everybody's just under the table, not, trying to draw attention to any of themselves even by like making the slightest noise or anything almost like oh almost like a butcher walking into like a a slaughterhouse and i was like i was just expecting the worst possible thing to happen i was like is that is that really what this show's been building up to is this really (laughs) grotesque moment like I I feel so bad for watching this. Why why am I watching this? Like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we I, get um yeah. Yeah, I felt I felt a definite pit in my stomach, but like with the, uh, I had a, uh, I felt like we're building up to it, but I thought like it wasn't gonna be in vain. I felt like yeah. our main characters like even nobly. Yeah, um, I, I I thought they and, were all gonna just rush the person yeah like that would that would have been really powerful like oh wow yeah and they did something totally different right they just subverted they as in brit marling zabat manglish they just they subverted everyone's expectations right yeah yeah everyone's hiding underneath the tables we get the theme song about to kick in um everyone's looking at each other from a distance this scene was so well edited like i love how like just it was so well stitched together like so incredible like the music and the the flow of the scenes i would say Um, the the music and the camera glides so like it's a continuous flow where like it feels we're getting out of the horrible situation mm because it's communicating like there's something bigger going not bigger but like if yeah like sacrifice or whatever they're gonna do it, like, it gives you the spark of hope and really especially with the music swell i got choked up for sure yes yeah even watching it again today and just just recapping and just like yeah i, I just i was i was welling up to i'm just like wow it's such, such a powerful moment like i could never for some reason i could just never like get over it i don't know why it's been like so many years you know it's been six years since the show has been out and um i get more out of it every time just from an emotional standpoint and yeah we get the crestwood five reunion and they come together in this such a intense and horrifying moment and they perform the movements with such grace and beauty like i i just love it they did everything and yeah we we get the wind and and then we even see oa in the background come up in one of the shots and yeah by the time they finish all their movements like oh man even like the look on steve's face like 
I, I just love how harmonious the sequence was and just how, um, even just through Steve's perspective, like he really is entrenched into this moment. Like he, he believes, you know, he has faith and, um, yeah. Uh, and they take down the shooter, like the, one of the, um, yeah, well, someone like tackled the shooter down. He fired off a couple bullets. Didn't hit anyone except for one person. And we look around and we get a, such a great shot of OA um, standing there with the final movement. And yeah, we, 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 we zoom out to see the bullet um, that cracks into, that ma- creates five cracks that represents the, the Crestwood Five. Um, yeah, what what are you, what are you guys' reactions to this? And the, the move ends on the bullet wound. That's one of the great little, great little touches. I think that the way that they pulled off this entire scene is very distinct for for the show itself and for any show of that matter because there's so many things that have so much purpose to them and subvert expectations and like i said before like the show does like an excellent job of like not letting things be cliche that would naturally be cliche because from somebody who like if they if they just like watched this scene on its own, alone, without knowing any of the thing that goes into it, they'd see, oh, it's like a flash mob. Like, all of a sudden, like, distracting mm-hmm. a school shooter. And, but it's like, when you have, like, the lore behind it, it's like, oh, well, they're trying to heal this person. Like, they're trying, like, at least that's my interpretation of it, is that they were trying not to, like, distract the person, but they were trying to, like, heal this inner turmoil that led them up to this moment of having to devise this entire scheme to purge something within them. And it just so happened that it created an opening for somebody else to take them, to take the assailant down. And then unfortunately it ended, you know, you know, firing off the gun and then hitting OA like, right you know, it was all, and that's like, once again, like, that's so calculated. And like, Richie, what you were saying, like, with the editing, like, the editing in this sequence is so on point. And the tension and the pacing of it all, it's just, it's, it's like a masterclass in building a sequence to end an entire season on. And like, after watching this, I, I have many more questions about where it's actually going to go from here because I feel like we're we're just barely beginning to scratch the surface of like all of the deep and interconnected concepts that have been uh, left for us like breadcrumbs throughout the entire course of the run of so far. And it's like, okay, this is the point where the series really begins. That's where that's what I at least felt like when it ended. Like I mean like like OA says to the reporter it's like no this is just the beginning. Like that's that's how I feel. Mm-hmm. 
I agree. I agree. Yeah, it feels like, but it feels it feels like the beginning. But it feels like we've, and again, you kind of, it feels like uh, there's a bit of the the Carl Jung, as well as like the Campbell stuff, which is I want to get to that later when we're fully wrapped. But yeah, it feels like the mentor is leaving the adventure, and now we have our our main five, our main characters, mm-hmm. and we're like we're gonna go on a journey with them and explore more and see them grow more and the cia undercover astral projection squad force <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i can't wait to see if that theory uh comes to comes to light pat but um yeah after after this wonderful sequence um away gets taken away on a stretcher and she uh Man, she. There's a sense of like lost there, you know. Number one, they 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 all follow her. The Crestwood Five, or or someone I I saw on YouTube mentioned that they're called the Maroon Five because they're all wearing um the color maroon, um, which is really cool, a neat little detail that I I didn't get the the first couple times, and um, yeah, she's being um you know, wheeled off, she said, uh, you know, you did it. Don't you see? I have the will. Can't you feel it? And yeah, they, they drive off and we get a good little moment with Buck, you know, putting his hand, reaching his hand out. And as the ambulance drives away, Steve, much in the same vein um, that OA did when she got left on the side of the road by half. Steve chases after the ambulance. You know, he yells, OA, Angel, take me with you. And yeah, we get this wonderful shot of this, you know, Steve standing in the middle of the road and the ambulance getting further and further away from him. And then we get a final monologue from OA before it turns to black, where she says, um, they said it would be invisible, like jumping into an invisible current that just carries you away. And then we cut to black. And then we get a shot of OA in some sort of like uh, white room. And we hear splashes of water in the background, and OA says, Homer. And then it ends with the uh, with the light. And the light forms into OA. And after that, it was truly over. Was it... No, I love. <laughs> I love the uh, yeah, Steve running after, and the uh, uh, yeah, I I stand by the mentor a bit, a little like the mentors leaving the main characters, and it's not an easy parting, and but she gets to go, and yeah, it hurts. <laughs> it's it's brutal, and yeah, I love that they could just feel it. Or at least Steve's, mm-hmm. he's, he's so convinced that I feel it's happening. 
it's happening right now and they start just chasing the ambulance yeah um they certainly gave goosebumps and uh it was really hard to accept um even right now you know like talking about it getting all emotional but like just knowing that like this this was their mission you know this was the objective from the very start that they set out to complete you know they listened to her story and when they finally knew what um she gathered them around for they they did it you know they they practiced they realized what they needed to do they had to do it with great feeling they had to do it um all at the same time and the fact that they all bonded and connected over that and then having to just see her off just like losing that like rare rare connection that like you know that you're not going to get back like you know you won't get back right like just you know like losing a best friend or ending a relationship or anything like that um yeah I, I can just imagine how hard it was like just i mean it's hard it was hard for me you know it's hard for me like even currently like watching that like wow that is so so rough like so heartbreaking and um yeah that's right now that's my initial thoughts Yeah, I think uh, before we recorded, I think you mentioned, Richie, that the ending was like in bad taste. So are there some not not sorry, not you. Right, right. <laughs> like there was like reviews or something or I haven't seen those yet. But yes, it's so like, it very polarizing, you know, yeah. like articles saying like this, the ending was insensitive or um, it was ridiculous. It was infuriating, you know, their headlines and um said it was out of nowhere it was yeah it was a terrible ending and um and even even the creators like Zal and Brit even had come out and said hey you know like if if people watched the ending and they and they laughed at you know the movements then that is perfectly normal and it's perfectly natural for people to laugh thinking that it's silly because they even admit themselves that it was silly and um even shout out to uh, Ryan Heppington, who was the choreographer for um, the movements, and he's very famous for um, doing, you know, similar choreography for other music artists. Um, yeah. Yeah, just. It's having, I'm having a hard time recollecting my thoughts because, yeah, it just, I'm just thinking to myself, like, wow, you know, like that was the end. And, um, I see yeah. that. I, I see the humorous light, but like Kevin, mm-hmm. Kevin gives it the, Kevin gave it the perfect context where it was like, oh, it's like, yeah, it's the, it's the healing motion. It's not the, it's not the flash mob. It's not the distraction motion. It's like a pure altruistic motion <laughs> towards this adversary or this hostile force. But it's like a. It feels like again, like a. It feels like a meta commentary, and like for the people who would say like, "Oh, this is bad taste," 
And it's like this is uh this really happens. <laughs> this isn't bad taste. You can't. This is a show. The show isn't. The show touching on the themes pales in comparison to the reality of these things happening. And then even yeah. then. I feel like it does it does like a good job of um I mean I feel like a lot of things that tend to transcend or have like some sort of transcendental nature to them they have a very unique way of holding up a mirror to society but not pointing out all of its blemishes and just stewing on that cuz it's like people get so tired of that like people get tired of like engaging with stuff that has an agenda like it's very easy to get jaded with that because it's like we deal with that in like everyday life like not only do we have to deal with that with like advertisements that have been like strictly strictly formulated to capture our attention with like the use of color the use of lights with the use of like branding symbols words anything and everything it's like when we come across like that sort of stuff in media that we want to sort of uh, suspend our disbelief with and to like escape for a short amount of time with it's like I, f I find that like you either have to pull that off really really well or you have to do you have to point out problems but actually provide solutions to them as well like adequate solutions not not pipe dreams not fantasies not idealistic results it's like you have to actually have some sort of tangible or at least worthwhile endeavor to remedy these sorts of issues and it's like oh the sh that's what the show is doing like with this it's like even if it's done in a completely choreographed way with with all of these like physical moves and stuff like yeah if you were to do that in front of a like let's let's say that you were to actually do that in that type of situation chances are you would die but it's like that's we aren't we aren't supposed to be viewing that in that lens you know it's like oh what are they trying to do they're trying to heal this person oh well you know what's what's like the why would they even want to do that in that situation it's like because if they rush the person obviously they're going to die yeah and something so, lesser would be like the destroying of the enemy in the perceived yeah. dichotomy of like, oh, yeah, it's this like, you aren't, yeah, Sorry. it's like you, you aren't addressing the root cause of the issue. And it's like they have in this show building up to this entire moment, they have the means to address this root cause. And it's like, OK, well, we should like take this lesson and apply it to our own waking reality by actually taking the time to, I guess, address the issue like over time, like it's not something that can be, it's not something that can be addressed and fixed overnight. It's like we have to provide outlets for people who are like suffering and who feel like they don't have a voice and feel like so neglected to the point where they have to lash out in such an extreme and violent way. It's like they're we're supposed to like take care of like each other. We're a very empathetic species and a very communal one at that. And it's like when we feel ostracized and when we feel like we're being pushed on the brinks of like marginalization, it's like that's where you tend to get into a lot of trouble because it's like on 
it, it's very dependent on like how you approach that because it's like on one end you can just try and go out and like engage with people more, you know, until you find somebody that you connect with. But then on the complete opposite end, in a very extreme manner, you lash out. And it's like, no, we need to help steer people away from that. You know, uh, we need to provide outlets and services to help them learn better coping mechanisms, you know? But that's that that's the thing that I loved about this moment though. And so it's what I've always been doing with the Maroon 5 the mm-hmm. whole time. She's been helping them <laughs> build up or build out, adapt, right. connect. She's, yeah, she said, uh, you know, I, I can't change your fate, but I can help you meet it in the very first episode before she tells her story. And the episode title is a uh, invisible self this final episode yes invisible yeah. self they expect oh and i was mm-hmm. saying like so you think they achieved that right Finding yeah remind me invisible self uh i think it i think in that moment they found their they've built up their invisible selves to meet that moment mm-hmm. from when we first meet and oh it tells steve like oh you're like sure you can do like 100 push-ups and you can punch that guy's throat and feel like a childish immediate relief of like, you know, like hurting someone who indirectly hurts you internally. But then she's like, that's not, that's not a complete self. That's not what a human should do or a grown person. That's something like an infant does. You have your invisible self is like a baby hasn't grown up at all. It's not ready. You're not going to find genuine connections with others until you improve that self. Which kind of help, which happens along the show where he, he finds an unlikely companion and someone who shares his experiences. And then, yeah, at the final moment, they're all ready, even though I'm sure they still have stuff to grow on, like uh, the scene of Buck in the cafeteria before the shooters revealed. Uh, it's a very sad, a very sad shot or scene, depending on the interpretation of like him sitting next to someone who's a little similar to themselves and it feels like it's like an envious or maybe it's just an isolated sitting there like they're not engaging with the people around them they're like kind of staring off in the space while everyone else is more like steve's with his girlfriend jesse has his friends french is with the jocks like you feel buck has growing to do or there's there's more mm-hmm. to buck's story same with all of them, I feel like. But yeah, the invisible self for that moment was built up. Yeah. And um, before we uh, transition into um, our next segment, which we will answer a question from a listener, do we have any theories on what happens next? Does anyone have anything they want to close off this recap by? I do. Sure. I'm the long run ready. Okay. Yeah. I wanted to thank Kevin for bringing up Euphoria. Because this is like a. I feel like a through line of the show, especially with the this final episodes stuff. Is. Touching on. 
the more conventional or the more like abhorrent parts to me this could all just be my brain rot showing but like with the surge of euphoria popularity i've seen like people speaking and writing about like the concept of the school drama and why why that exists or why that's a popular medium and like the the gross undertones of it all and like people say that like this the the school drama that the show opens with kind of and in the end i feel like it's a meta commentary that they set it in that typical kind of like school drama netflix series backdrop for this deeper higher plane narrative to unfold in like it brings the grand the grandness to the small scale of our daily lives because just kids at school but the school setting is also a gross reflection of our absence of community in this current nation we don't have a shared singular cultural touchstone that is like as prominent universally other than like our mandatory upbringing and going to school and our social interactions that happen in that environment. And so when you have like more modern shows, I haven't seen a second of Euphoria, so maybe I'm too cynical, but <laughs> what I've heard about it, it's just like a kind of like maybe hedonistic pseudo commentary, but it's also idealizing that environment. And it's kind of like a, it's like a reliving or a, a fictional a fictional period that people can connect to their own experiences of having literally been forced to go to school or high school or whatever happened and those that community you feel at the school it feels like the the shows that are designed like that are meant to exploit that like that tragic thing that that's the community we have like for some people in the US or maybe in just whatever culture that currently shapes our structures it's yeah you you go to high school and if you're a nerd you get bullied and that's your exposure to a community versus like a grander transcendental like deeper community like a local community like a like a neighborhood community like a all that stuff it just feels like yeah it feels like this show is definitely setting this grand story in this setting to be like oh look it's like your it's like your more typical stuff and yeah it's just yeah the whole concept that of that setting is kind of a grim reflection of we don't have a unifying community present nowadays and we have to attach ourselves to this like brief moment where we do have a unified community and then that brief moment is also corrupted through media and it's made into like a hedonistic sex romp where we like simulate and retrospect our experiences with this fictional like carnal immediate pleasure environment and it's just all like a gross it's all like a tragically gross reflection of our <laughs> sanity as a culture i believe and i believe that way is taking a big dump on that i think you bring up an excellent viewpoint on that pat especially because if that's the era that <laughs> our culture keeps reverting back to <laughs> i mean it's kind of like um that that common thing where it's like uh like tropes that you see in like shows where it's like oh well i peaked in high school it's like oh high school was like my greatest time you know like i was on the football team like all these like 
little highlights that don't mean anything in the grand scheme of our entire length of time on this planet. It's like the the fact that like so many stories revert back to this time period where there is that form of like community where everybody is undergoing like that shared experience and that's what bonds them. It's like it's like uh how people reach out to one another to have like a a, a 10 year reunion you know, after graduation or something like that. It's like nowhere else would most of these people like ever talk to each other ever again. But it's like this one unifying quality that they all share to bring them back to that environment again. But I just think it's so gross that that is the period of time that we keep going back to as like a collective. Um, Just because it's like that whole time in people's lives like what what are like some of the core concepts that come to you like when it comes to that like to me it's like infantization in in a way and also immaturity uh irresponsible like all these like things and because it's like we don't have any like that but also like at that same time it's like a very hopeful period of time because it's like oh well your life is just getting started there's so many possibilities for you like outside of this place um but it's like the fact that we don't have any other unifying communal experiences after that is so saddening in a way because it's like right now we live in like such a unique age of like division where it's like modern information splits like and creates all these different factions and cliques and it, like right now it's like we're we're in like the west of uh of information and sensory overload it's like we're still trapped in that very immature mindset where we're having to deal with identity still even like years after this and it's like oh well if we could just go back to that period of time in high school and like live it the way that we want to or or like escape in this other person's world and like live vicariously through them maybe we can like correct something that went wrong in our own lives it's like oh my god yes. <laughs> like <laughs> jesus like <laughs> And it's like, what what else do you have outside of that religion? Like, yeah. oh boy, that's even better. Like, <laughs> and that ended in what the eighteen hundreds. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, to me, I view like a religion as like a a stake that we grow alongside, that we cling on to, which it's I'm sure will offend a lot of people, but at the same time, it's like. A lot of people like use it as like a crutch to view themselves as like a better person when it's like, no, you know, you could just be a good person without that. Right. And I don't know, like I just view like all these sorts of like, like the problem that I have with like these sorts of like communal things as well is that like they can also be used as a tool to control, which religion Mm -hmm. absolutely has been guilty of. I would say euphoria. Billion percent is <laughs> that could be as well. That could be very true. I don't know. Like I feel like with all of these like uh, forms of like 
just communal things like so much can go wrong under the wrong hand you know mm-hmm. um which i guess like begs the question like oh well if we all did have something that we could all take part in what would that be and my answer is death that is it that is the single unifying thing that we all share as human beings is that we will all die one day and it's like that's all we're preparing ourselves to do like by living and it's like that's what reminded me of of uh, the OA so much during it is she was saying how she was preparing them to meet their fate and it's like that's what our fate is fate is death it's like mm-hmm. how do you meet it though like do you meet it knowing that you lived your life the way you wanted to uh did you step on hundreds of thousands of people to get to where you want to be did you manipulate other people did you show remorse did you engage with happiness did you create unique memories with others it's like what did you do at the at the end point of this you know when we do finally meet our end that's yeah and, and the OA they yeah like you said they and that's why I'd argue they they set this film where these unlikely characters form a deep bond in a small community within the like the pathetic excuse for a brief moment experience of community we have nowadays in the school setting these five mm-hmm. people come together and the oa mentors them or helps build them up their invisible selves up enough where they can face like kevin said the unifying factor is their whatever their their non-tangible connection to each other through their meeting and time together and then when faced with like a, a machine gun of death in this setting they they gladly stand up and face it they're ready to face it they and then even then the beauty is they're doing the healing motions towards the source of harm directed at them it's like they've yeah it's like an idealized goal to aspire to but again it's a tv show (laughs) we don't live in that and then that's why i think they again the school setting is like saying like we have this brief moment to build these bonds and all the stuff and instead we get kind of typical we get a we get a typical experience that's reproduced infinity in media and then you look back on your experiences and it doesn't compare and then you some people repress their experiences in high school like oh i hated it i hated this part i hated this part and some people are just alone because that's how we are and it's just yeah it's a sad it's a sad reality that like yeah once you leave that brief forced community that we all experience you kind of wish it was back you kind of wish to go back for many reasons like uh and then yeah you brought up the church like i've been wanting to go back to i, I want to go back to church even maybe it's the pandemic but i was like i miss i want to see a band play i like the when we all sung together mm-hmm. and it's like a selfish thing to go back and feel that <laughs> feel I'm that right there with presence. you patrick yeah <laughs> i felt that recently yeah, then, but then I think like, oh, it's because I'm I'm not comfortable enough to just go out in public. I don't need to go to the church. I can go I can go to a show. I can go alone. But then there's the fear of going alone and the fear of being alone. And it's like, mm-hmm. oh, I got to we got to face that stuff. I, th- I think that there's like multiple solutions to that sort of thing. Like. And I I also think that it's so many rewards can be reaped by doing by exploring all of those like different outlets. Um, for instance, like if you did like, I mean, just using your example, 
of like wanting to go out in public again and then you know going to a show by yourself it's like when you're alone in those types of social situations the other people who there are the other alone people who are there like it's like you're like magnets to one another it's crazy like they're they're like oh you're alone i'm alone let's be alone together and like whether or not it's like spoken verbally or anything like i've had so many instances where i've gone to a local show and i was absolutely terrified of going by myself like i had like built myself up so much like you know i'd get off like because that's the thing that i did before um the before uh, the quarantine started, um, like I would get off work in the afternoon. I would go out, get ramen by myself. Cause you know, like at this point in time, I was freshly single after like being in a relationship for like multiple years. And I had no idea how to be alone because the thought of it was so crippling to me of like being alone in a social setting, because that's worse than being alone on your own. And I would build myself up. And then right when I was walking up to the venue, I would just walk past it and walk for like maybe like five more blocks. Be like, All right, I'm just going to go home. And then like I would walk back to it and then I would go. And then there's like this period of time where like you're waiting for the show to actually start and you're like, OK, I'm here. What do I do? Where do I stand? Uh, <laughs> and then like once the music finally comes on, it's like nobody it's like nobody cares it's like you're all there for the same reason you know and it's like how often does that happen it's like it's like being in class with with classmates you know like that's that's like something that i've always felt like at i mean at least at sac state like most recently like in college um it's like oh well we're all here because we like film weird <laughs> like <laughs> that's one thing we all have in and it's like once you have like some sort of common ground that's like the perfect fertile ground to plant seeds in you know to like watch things grow to like tend to them because it's like how many times have like either of you had like certain moments where you've like had opportunities but they were just like or like where you met somebody or like had a chance to do something but it just wasn't at the right time in your life you know yeah and that Oh no! I was, uh, yeah, you go. I was like, Kevin, that happened to me while in college. <laughs> <laughs> I think towards you guys before before we were friends. I'd be like, "Hey guys, I I can be an editor, or like, can I join your group? <laughs> Please, someone be friends with me. Not be friends, but like, yeah, I was like always, I was always afraid of making the initial step. So I'd like I'd sit in in a self isolation of like, oh, like paralyzed with fear of reaching out but then desperately hoping someone would reach out to me and then like yeah i think i think to maybe one or both of you guys you probably experienced from me going like sweaty palms like hey guys scheduling a group oh yep mm, yep <laughs> like, Pat, like that's the definitive moment that like yeah. separated you from like all those other prior moments is that you actually had the courage to reach out you know yeah. well, not every time i did but yeah I can look back on those moments I did fondly now. Yeah, I, I, I really appreciated those moments, Patrick, because we did have um, a few classes together, from what I recall. And um, yeah, especially when we had uh, Professor Stark and 
we were in that computer lab and I'll sit on the, like the opposite side of you. And I was like, I, I came into class that one day, like very early on in the semester. And I was like, Oh yeah, Pat's in this class. You know what? I'm going to sit next to Pat the whole semester. So I, I went from my spot on the opposite side of the room, like over to your row. I was like, yeah, nobody's sitting over here. <laughs> so yeah. And then, yeah. And then we, I, I like that. Uh, yeah, we, I got to, you know, see your work and like, see how creative you are in the editing process and such. And I learned a lot from you. Um, I appreciate yeah, the attention because I do remember that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I just felt like, you know, there, there was a more of a connection there, you know, I, I think that, uh, just to tie it back to the, um, to the OA, back to the, the Crestwood five, you know, that, that final 10 minutes where everyone is dispersed now, not, not everyone's together anymore. And we were catching them in this sort of like tenuous point in their lives where, um, you know, yeah, they're all separated and, and they're all strung together by a very, very thin thread, which is, um, the OA. She's the only person that like could get them all together, you know, get them to where they need to be. And I found that to be so powerful because, um, yeah, she, she came and then she went, you know, she, she came out there and she brought these people together who wouldn't otherwise like have connected in such a meaningful way to have the, all of these little moments, you know, these moments between BBA and Steve and Jesse or like the moment between Steve and Buck and like French and Steve connecting, even though they butt heads, like, yeah, I just like that even though they were in, they were like walking on thin ice, they were in these like really um, harsh moments where they're just finding, finding their footing in life. They're finding like that next step or like that next transition, you know, um, even like literally like Buck is transitioning in terms of identity and, and finding a name and um, yeah, just not even be accepted by his own parents or like his dad in particular. And um, yeah, these people are literally like transitioning into the next step of their lives and uh, and then, yeah, even an OA is transitioning elsewhere, possibly. And so, um, yeah, uh, yeah, is that it for our theories? Uh, I do want to ask you guys, what do you think even happened to the OA? What, what, what does that final image mean, you know, when she calls out Homer's name and... Yeah, what what happened to her? I think Do you that, think she jumped? Hmm. Well, to me, like just the fact that she appears in like that white background, right? Like that I I'm, if I remember that correctly. Mm -hmm. Um and even just like the water noise, like to me that's like uh, that like reminds me of like uh in utero imagery of being in between the stage of life and death in a way. And to me, I feel like she 
potentially transitioned into a form of not necessarily purgatory, but somewhere in between life and death. And that calling out for Homer, perhaps he's there too. Perhaps he's dead, but at this, I, uh, I don't think he is. Um, although I do want to point out that like she's had NDEs, right? Like we've seen her go through that a few times before, right? And we know that where she goes, when she goes sees Katoon or like that room, right? With where she can see all the stars and such. So I'm wondering, you know, why this time? Why is it different this time? Perhaps she is dead. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe she's made it up. Maybe she is an angel now. Mm-hmm. What do you uh, think? My, my thoughts are uh, I'm really happy that scene wasn't there or else I would have felt like I would have had my Inception hang up. <laughs> the iconic, like pick an ending. And when they give us that ending, uh, I was like, oh, okay, uh, I can until it's revealed later on, hopefully, or maybe never at all. Uh, I don't have a concrete theory. I don't think you possibly could. Uh, the only thing I think is uh, she is with Homer. And she doesn't typically call out for the, because uh, yeah, like you mentioned, you mentioned she had uh, NDEs before. Maybe she traveled to the, uh, maybe the the movements mo- transferred her soul, or her consciousness, or teleported her to another dimension or plane. Uh, maybe her dying sent her to heaven or another plane. Uh, I think the beauty is in the the show's fluidity between which of those possibilities is possible. And uh, I don't have the answer. Uh, (laughs) I could just say uh, I I like to believe Homer's there. And uh, for now, that's a satisfying and offending for the OA story. Although I still want to see everyone else's. Okay. Yeah, I'm loving all the answers that you guys gave. And um, yeah, I am very enthused to see what comes next so um yeah, let's get to um our final segment uh we got a couple people to shout out right um yeah uh i want to shout out josh mole for um for our interaction especially on our instagram um he commented there he sent us a question and yeah if, if you guys are listening now at this point and you have not followed our Instagram, follow us at Late Film Podcast. Um, yeah, so we had such great interaction with Josh. And Patrick, you wanted to mention um, Davey Cohen too, right? A shout out. Yeah, so um, yeah, shout out to both of them. Uh, we'll talk about that more in a, briefly in a moment. Um, but yeah, I just do want to bring up that Josh sent us a question that he would like us to answer. So this is a uh, a question from Josh, uh, where he sent us to us at layfilmpodcast at gmail dot com. If you guys want to send us questions, so I'm going to start. Uh, 
So he says, I'm listening to the most recent pod and finally have a question instead of spoilish statement that I can usually only talk to Rich about. First, though, the radio in the background that you brought up had an interview with theoretical physicist Brian Green. It's been a while, but I think he was talking about the multiverse. Remember, every detail in the show is intentional. My question, why do you think Hap did these experiments so forcefully instead of working with his subjects? He's giving them the bare minimum to survive with no thought to their psychological suffering. He gives them pellets for food. He could imprison them and give them actual food. He could give them mattresses, some form of entertainment to help pass the time, etc. Does Hap need them to suffer in addition to having near-death experiences? Unless it's because he only sees them as lab rats until Prairie comes along, I just don't get the cruelty beyond the imprisonment. Do you think the suffering serves a purpose? So, um, Patrick, you read this question, um, and you said you had an answer. Yes. Uh, it absolutely serves a purpose. Uh, we're later revealed that the, uh, the willpower to continue on, that Prairie, the OA shows multiple times, especially when tempted by Katoon, like with seeing her father, her father, Jesus, her father passing through, assuming that he's, his soul is moved on to whatever plane she's currently visiting. And she's tempted with, again, like, do you like, do you want to go be with him in peace forever? Or do you want to return to, you know, you're literally imprisoned by a sociopathic experimenting mad scientist? Like, her will to persevere is what allows her to come back from the NDEs. And then Hap's study is focused entirely on the, you know, re repeating those experiments and monitoring where the people go and... They just happen to come back. And so I think and as well as like indirectly, it is Hap also uh, separating himself psychologically from them as people like uh, maybe yeah, like you brought up the lab rats par parallel. Like, of course, yeah, he's he's disassociating from them, which Prairie does change a great deal. And then, yeah, I just view it as. Like. Uh, the OA and HAP are inverse. The OA helps people develop the will through positive enforcement, through being a friend, through building communities between herself, them, and those connected to the both of them in the group. And that makes them have the will to stand up to death. In the final episode, it gives them the will to... It gives them a new will where it feels like HAP is more oppressively putting them through suffering and strife to help them. Like if they, if they couldn't, if they didn't have the will, they wouldn't come back from the NDEs and they wouldn't have the will to continue on in his experiments. So they would uh, probably die like that one group member that did pass when Prairie is introduced to the group. I feel like it's a mm -hmm. subtle way of even directly or indirectly app is building up their will through negative aspects so you can continue his studying of them and then again yoe is correct and she's the good character she's building up the will the correct way that makes people ready where hap is breaking them down slowly so his experiments and his goals are kind of doomed where the oas are not is my read of the whole film that's just me mm -hmm. what do you guys think uh, i'd say that's spot on amigo mm -hmm. <laughs> 
yeah i couldn't have said it better uh myself um yeah like you said he is breaking them down so that they can build the world themselves right uh i think that's perfect way to answer that um yeah as well as even mentioning that um yeah just like like you said uh he treats them like lab rats and um in a way it's to distance himself psychologically from them and emotionally just so that he doesn't feel like a peer even though he's mentioned a couple times that he wants to feel like they are all peers they're all in this together but the way he's treating them does not feel that way right so he wants the community on his terms mm -hmm. right which makes him this crazy sociopathic human being like he's incredibly selfish and um yeah it doesn't make him a part of that group because he doesn't have to go through it and yeah i think like you said yeah the suffering is a part of the process i think that if he had uh collaborated with them in a way that he i guess coddles them and you know bends to i guess their will in a, in a way um maybe he wouldn't have gotten the results he would have gotten maybe they wouldn't have gone through the experiment to literally drown in this machine over and over again and perhaps that would have been hard for him to even allow to happen right if he built if he built that emotional bond so yeah, I thought that was a very, very good question. I even thought of that um, while we were doing the past couple episodes. Like, huh, does he even have to be sadistic? But um, yeah, that was uh, really well said. Um, also, I do want to mention, because I didn't get to mention this before, um, Josh also told me that um, BBA's brother, Theo, he said uh, his last name is Alan. So... He, his name would be Theo A. Um, he said, said they were planning to do something with some of his connections, but there were a lot of fans that thought his, player, his character would play a major part in future seasons. So um, I think that's a quick little tidbit I thought I'd offer to you guys about BBA's brother. Because, you know, her name's BBA and Theo's last name is Alan. So Theo A, which was really cool. Um, and he also mentioned that back in episode seven, when Buck is riding his bike to meet at the abandoned house, he drives by pieces of the car crash from Rachel's NDE with the book bag and the river. And this person said he believes this is Rachel's, um, NDE or dimension bleeding over. And yeah, he also mentions the Braille on the wall where um, in episodes, was it episode seven? Yeah, I think it's episode seven where Raheem is um, having the session with OA and the Braille on the wall says Rachel. So I think we're kind of clued in as to why we didn't really get much from Rachel or why Rachel never offered a fifth movement because there was something else you know, um, in the background and foreground planned. And again, so, back to the Homer, back to the Homer French connection. Maybe there's a Buck mm -hmm. Rachel. 
Mm-hmm. Maybe there are archetypes, a little Joseph Campbell meta narrative. Who's mm-hmm. Steve? Prairie, maybe? So he's kind of the center? I don't know. Maybe. Our eyes. I don't know. I don't want to give any more because uh, I already have the fourth set of watching season two. So <laughs> we're, we're still on part one. But um, I thought I'd bring that up just for you guys to think about. Um, yeah, when we move in to the next story. And he also gave me more things, but that has to do with part two. Um, and also, I want to mention um, that we received something really cool because uh, Davy Cohen messaged us talking about the um, the outros for these episodes um, because I mentioned it earlier on, like I, I needed to remember these things especially the intros, but um, he did a really cool thing to stitch together all the outros of the episodes. And yeah, it turns out that they were, um, they were all seamlessly uh, put together and then broken apart and then added at the end of every episode that we all got to see. And it was so cool. It gave me goosebumps. I wanted to shout out Davey Cohen because um, he is allowing us to use that clip for, um, yeah, for Instagram for when we release this episode. So, yeah, big shout out to him. Um, I thought that was, yeah, that was a really, really big thing. And, um, yeah, I'm very, very happy to see that. That gives me something new. Uh, even after all these years. <laughs> A part one been out since, you know, 2016. Part two has been out since 2019, which is, wow, been three years ago, actually. Um, yeah, always something new to pick up, right, about this show, so. Yeah, I want to encourage Davey to uh, also post it himself. Because, yeah, yes. if, you're in, if you feel like it's not... An like a property that belongs to you, I would say just put it in the description that it's just something you made as a fan or passion project. And um, I think the only the worst that could happen is you'll make new friends. And, uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah there's, there's, there's gonna be no lawsuit, and uh, we greatly appreciate it. Yeah. It was. It was just as someone like who recently got into the show, and is getting up to speed with all of the the cryptic and hidden layers of this show, the video really enhanced my appreciation for just how meticulous and how layered and how much care and attention was put into the show. So thank you for that, Davey. Yes. Thank you, Davey Cohen. And thank you, Josh Mole. Thank you for being such great fans and, and following us and um, listening to our episodes. Um, I feel like they've been our, our biggest supporters. So thank you so much. Uh, I'm so grateful for like the reception that we received uh, upon doing this. And um, yeah, well, Pat, I'm really grateful that like we've started this together and we made it here to the end. I'm so happy for that. I'm so grateful that you joined us, Kevin, for our final episode. It's like really like special episode. I feel that we got to do this. And um, it, it really it really gives me 
so much hope and so much strength, you know, over something that I've annoyingly mentioned to you guys like the past few years. I know it's I've always been on it and I've always mentioned OA quite so many times. And I know like how uh, tiring it can get. Um, and um, I think in a way this would help me, you know, um, kind of either move on or like just have a sense of catharsis or catharsis to um, just let over me. And thank you so much for giving me this outlet to um, share this experience with you both. And that's, I mean, honestly, that's all I could really ask for. I mean, it, it goes back to like what Pat was saying. It's like, how many times do we get like these sorts of uh, settings to share things with each other, you know? And that's exactly what this is for. It's like the more you share with other people, the more possibility there is to share experiences. And it's like, that's, it's like one of the greatest things you can do with another person. So yeah, I'm appreciative of it too. And um, I'm very grateful that we even have people who enjoy the stuff that we're making. Cause it's like, Oh, well we get closer to them just like they get closer to us. And like, even outside of that, it's like just the fact just the will of uh, being able to do that sort of stuff, of having the courage to be authentic with one another. It's like, that's such a beautiful thing that we can do as human beings. I agree. I want to say thank you guys for being my friends. And thank you for, uh, you know, the experiences we share. And thank you to everyone listening. You literally don't have to listen. So we appreciate it. And uh, those who have engaged with us, thank you for engaging. If you want to keep engaging, feel free to send more emails. I love arguing. Just be sure to address if it's spoilers for season one or two. So I don't <laughs> spoil myself. But uh, yeah, I'd love to even if you found this in 2024. If you, <laughs> you want to shoot an email over and challenge me, I will argue, argue with you until the sun comes up. <laughs> And our and our email is layfilmpodcast at gmail.com. Yes, definitely hit us up there. Um, it's the only way to really reach us the best way uh, besides our Instagram. And yeah, be sure to like rate our show so that we can get out there more. Um, share the episode. Um, yeah, you can rate us even on Spotify. You can review us on iTunes and rate us as well. Um, yeah, wherever you are around the world, I I love the fact that people from all around the world are finding us. Um, yeah, whether you're like, yeah, you're on the other side of the world or you're, you know, hovering around the rings of Saturn. It's so awesome that you guys are, uh, yeah, finding us. And so, yeah, that does it. Wow, for our final episode. And um, yeah, uh, and right before I go, I want to give another shout out to... Um, Chelsea Linden, who um, I've connected over the OA community um, for the past couple years now. And um, so, yeah, Chelsea, if you're listening to this, I wanted to give you a shout out. Thank you so much for always being a big supporter of mine and I'm a big supporter of yours too. So big shout out to Chelsea Linden. And yeah, that does it. Um, final episode. And yeah, I can't wait to see what we do next, which series we're going to dive into next. This isn't the end. 
um, just for everyone, uh, know this, that we'll, we'll do part two again eventually. And yeah, we'll just let time pass. And, um, when that time comes, you will know, and I cannot wait to talk about the next, next part. So yeah, until next time, keep your front doors open and yeah. And keep, keep on the will. See you next time. I have the will. Can't you feel it? Yeah. <laughs>